putting up numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk about the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and give you the last word in greatness, our uniform number hall of fame. You can also hit us up at puttinupnumbers.com and give us your picks. I'm Tom Davis here in Los Angeles, and joining me from Dallas, he's my main man, my toucan Sam, my can of spam, my holiday ham. It's Rudy Klanick. Rudy, what's today's number? Today's number is number 16. A great football number, an interesting baseball number, and uh, a spectacular hockey number. And let's not forget basketball. We'll get to that. But before we get into that, we had quite the interview with a good a buddy of yours. Just a yep. good, good all-around great interview, great guy, and man, a fantastic athlete. We talked to Jake Plummer, number 16 with Arizona State, the Cardinals, and then eventually the Broncos, where he actually had really a big part of his success in the NFL was with the Broncos, but man, good guy. And he's got a new business that he talks about, which is very football centric. And yeah, it was a good time talking to him. I've known Jake for 20 years. And I remember the day that I met him down in San Diego and he seemed way smaller than a football player should be. And yet he played 10 years. And the thing I hate most about him is he retired at 32 and has not looked back. Yeah. And here we are breaking the big rocks into small rocks in our 50s, Rudy, and he's uh, been retired yeah, for 13 no, we, years. So way to go, way Jake. To go, Jake. You. Thank you. <laughs> well, hope you enjoy the interview. Here's Rudy, myself, and Jake, the snake plumber. Today's guest is a good friend and a great athlete. Jake Plummer came within seconds of winning a national championship at Arizona State in 1996. That year, he was named All-American, Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, and he finished third in Heisman Trophy voting. He played 10 seasons in the NFL with Arizona and Denver. In 1998, he led the Cardinals to an upset win over the Cowboys to notch the team's first playoff win in 51 years. In Denver, he broke John Elway's franchise records and led the Broncos to the 2005 AFC Championship game. Since he retired in 2006, he's been active in a variety of causes, including Alzheimer's and CBD research, and he's the co-founder of ReadyList Sports, an interactive playbook learning and testing technology that increases engagement, comprehension, and safety. He's also a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and he's better than you at any sport you can think of. Jake, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for that great intro. And, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I've become less competitive so that even if I might be greater at the sport, I might not care. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you beat me, I just want to have fun. Let's jump into the number here. Obviously, 16 at Arizona State and with the Cardinals and the Broncos. How did 16 end up in your locker? I came into ASU wanting to wear number six because I did in high school and felt like I wanted to just continue on wearing number six. It had been good to me. And I uh, came in in the class actually with a JC transfer named Johnny Thomas. And he was a speedster, one of the fastest dudes I've ever seen, a really good receiver. And he said, number six is mine because I came here to do just that, put up six points on the board every time I touch it. So I couldn't fight that. I was a freshman when, you know, spelt 170 or so. I said, sure, that's fine. I'll take whatever number you got. As long as it has a sun devil on it, I was just fine with it. And they gave me number 16. So it was handed to me by no choice of my own. It was just the number that they gave me. And uh, 
I was happy again to have a jersey, like I said, that said Arizona State and meant that I was part of the team. Once you had 16 on and you started leading comebacks in college and in the pros, there was an inevitable comparison to Joe Montana. Kind of give us your kind of mind space on that then and now, you know, just because you wore number 16 and you were known for really dramatic comebacks. You know, it's funny. I went to the Stanford quarterback receiver camp before my senior year, and uh, that was really the first camp I'd ever gone to out of Boise, Idaho, to go showcase what I had or to just go be around other four-star recruits, all these big arms and big guns and amazing athletes from California and surrounding. So when I got there, you know, for me, Stanford was high on my list, really one of my top choices to go to play ball and, and get an education for obvious reasons. Bill Walsh was there. I mean, Bill Walsh is the man. He could do anything. And watching Joe Montana as a kid, of course, I love Joe. He was a undersized player that really shouldn't have been there in his at his size, but was tough as nails and courageous. And then Bill Walsh is now coaching me and took a group of us aside, QBs, and worked with us. And it was really special. I got to play golf with Joe and kind of get a feel for, you know, the reason why he did so well. And I tried to embody that myself was that he was just a pretty down to earth guy and didn't treat himself like a God or anything special or better than the guy beside him. If he was his, you know, backup center and we were all one. And that's kind of how I felt when I met Joe and, and, and how I saw him lead. So having qualities like Joe was not a bad thing. Of course, I didn't have the career he had, but I still had a pretty damn good career. <laughs> For sure. Do you feel like watching football now and seeing some of the quarterbacks? I mean, you got, you know, one in Arizona right now running around. I mean, he's a lot faster than maybe any human being, it looks like. Man. <laughs> um, yeah. But just in the style of play today, do you think your game would have been, would fit in better now or would it not? It's hard to say that because, you know, my game fit for those 10 years pretty well. I survived. I avoided major injuries. I was able to put up solid numbers and, and not till I got to Denver really win a lot of ball games. I think that it was great to be pushed to become a real solid pocket quarterback when I got, you know, not only at Arizona, but as I went to become a Bronco with Shanahan, but I was still allowed to go run around. And, and you know, as you get older though, you stop doing that as much. It's not as fun getting hit, getting blasted. I think my style would definitely have played well into today's game. Uh, it would be nice to be able to run and, and have the freedom these guys have. I guess the freedom where a defender is not going to come at you 100% because if you throw the ball at any second and you hit me, now you're going to get a flag and get fined. So I think QBs like Kyler Murray have learned how to kind of work the system a little bit. So would I have been a more effective quarterback now? Maybe, maybe just because it's a lot more open-mindedness to, to spreading it out and getting the QB to get out of the normal three-step, five-step, seven-step drop mentality that has, has gone you know, away, as we see with these phenomenal athletes that are now, thankfully, and for the benefit and pleasure of the fans, they're being allowed to cut free and show us their athletic ability. And Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. I mean, it, it's amazing what these guys can do. And when I played... You know, there was Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb, but those guys were still trying to be forced to be in the pocket. And uh, now it seems like it's just a more wide open game. And I won't lie, spreading it out five wide and having those gaps would have been a hell of a lot of fun running around back in the day, slinging it like I was. <laughs> <laughs> I met you 20 years ago when you were 25. And you told me the day I met you, I'm not going to play football forever. I'm going to play for a little while and then I'm going to stop. And I thought you were absolutely out of your mind. And I'll be damned if that isn't exactly what you did. How's it been? How's life been since you left the game? 
It's been good. It's funny you recall something like that, that I don't recall that exact conversation, but I know that I had the feelings as to how long I wanted to play this game. It's been a good time. I feel good, you know, and I think, Tom, when I said that, it was the beating I took, too, during the playing days. I wasn't built for this game, and I had to put on weight to play it. And then, you know, when my body started hurting and it just was no fun anymore, it was time to go. I'd always said, if it's not fun, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done with it. I'm not going to chase glory and try to get that ring just so I can have it. And I haven't looked back since. You know, there were moments where I thought I'd like to go play for Kubiak again if I could. But as soon as I started thinking about playing ball, I became kind of that stressed out, aggro kind of person that you have to become to kind of succeed in that environment. And, and I want nothing to do with that anymore. Jake, you came within seconds. And I forgot until I watched the Rose Bowl highlights in preparation for this. You came within seconds of winning a national championship at Arizona State. Do you still think about that game? What did you learn from that game? When I went to Arizona State, Bruce Snyder, in my living room in Boise, said, hey, if you commit to being a Sun Devil, we feel you're the missing piece to a puzzle that could be a team that can win a national title. So he had that much confidence in me as an 18-year-old coming out of Boise. And that's really why I decided to go to ASU, see if this dude was right. He could make it happen. And we almost did. Some guys have still never watched the Rose Bowl. Me, I I love good football. So I've watched that game a few times because it's a great football game. You know, you can learn a valuable lesson from that. Don't ever stop playing your style until it's done. Because, you know, we kind of had a deflation after I scored. I think a lot of people thought we're national champs. Even in the stands and fans all around thought it was over. But as we know, it's never over until that clock hits zero. And uh, we had to learn the hard way. But I made a a really good decision to go to Arizona State and trust what Bruce Snyder was telling me and giving me the confidence as a young man to come and try to fulfill something grand. And we almost did. So those kind of things resonate forever. That Put your mind to something. You can do it if you want to. Speaking of Arizona State and the Cardinals, you were obviously friends with the late Pat Tillman. Pat's been gone 16 years now. Tell the folks what Pat meant to you. Pat was just real and genuine. We all felt Real special dude prior to him going and fighting for our country. I mean, everyone knows a teammate of his. You can go along Arizona State campuses and talk to numerous people, not even in the football building, but people that were affected positively by Pat, made to feel like they meant something. They were remembered or engaged. Pat was a guy who really, he didn't overlook many people, and uh, me included, you know, a, a friend, a teammate. We'd been through a lot together when he left to go for his last deployment over in Afghanistan, he called me to check on me because I'd just gone through a big life change. Meanwhile, I'm thinking I should be calling you to say I love you and I hope you come back safe. But it was the other way around with Pat. He just, he was a great friend, a real true, true friend. And he didn't have anything that he needed in return. He just wanted to see if you were doing well. If you meant something to him, he wanted to know and see and hear you and be able to rest easier to know that you were doing all right. And uh, that really is what made him special. I mean, he was a guy who just had it set down with confidence and with love and loyalty, man. He was a real rare breed, but there's other Pat Tillmans out there. And I challenge people all the time to, you know, don't just walk by somebody. You might get a chance to sit down and talk to somebody and meet somebody that could have an influence on you like Pat has had on me and so many others. Jake, in retirement, you've been a bit like Bill Murray. You pop up at a random handball tournament 
you turn into a high school football coach, or you're working with plant-based medicines. Now you're the founder of a new business called Ready List Sports. Tell folks out here about that technology, why you created it, and what's going on with that business. It's something that came to my door. An old teammate, Chad Freehoff, developed the whole concept behind having a playbook that was more similar to Rosetta Stone, a repetitive, efficient learning style that utilizes multiple learning styles. You don't just learn it by writing the words or by looking in a book. You have to use all forms of learning styles. And so his idea was to create a playbook that would encapsulate multiple learning styles, make the learning process and the teaching process much more efficient. And so we started taking it around with coaches I knew and Adam Gase loved the concept. So this year the Jets were our biggest customer. Yeah, they're not doing well, but that doesn't mean the ready list isn't a viable tool. We've created a very efficient way to study your plays. And then the beauty of it is you get tested on the back end. There's an immediate assessment of what you just captured while you were studying. So you know, your coach knows, everybody knows, hey, you're ready to go. You got 100%. No longer will you waste time and practice on plays everybody knows. Let's focus on the plays they're struggling on. So We have a lot of uses and we've been building this and growing it and developing it for a long time. It'll change the way GAs and quality control guys approach their jobs. They'll love it. Software is a great way to learn. And this is the tool to use to reach your players no matter where, no matter when, and uh, see what they're learning. Readylistsports.com is the way to check it out. Jake, great to see you, my friend. Always fun to get together with you. And thanks for spending some time with us. Tom, thank you, man. Next time I'll have to play some hook and ring. See if yes, I got absolutely. any competitive juices left. <laughs> Speaking of the sports that you could play better than almost anybody. <laughs> it was the release, man. It was just the release. There you go. There you go. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate Thanks, it, buddy. Man. Our thanks to Jake the Snake Plumber. Remember, readylistsports.com. Check it out. So, Rudy, here we go with number 16. And there's quite a few players in a quite a few sports. It's pretty spread around pretty equally this time around, which is kind of fun. Let's start in football and I'll do the sentimental favorites and the honorable mention guys. And you can do the heavy lifting with the contenders. Sentimental favorites. We've got a fair number of college guys. Chuck Long, who obviously played at Iowa. Chris Winkie, who was 700 years old when he won the Heisman Trophy in 2000. I'm kidding. He was actually 28. Gary Beeman, who is the only UCLA Bruin ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Johnny Unitas, strangely enough, at Louisville, wore number 16 before he made number 19 famous in the NFL. And Kenny Stabler, who wore 16 for just three years in New Orleans there at the end of his career. Uh, In terms of honorable mention, guys, we have two Bears Hall of Famers, Ed Healy and George Musso. We have Norm Sneed, who wore 16 for 17 years with the Cardinals, Giants, Redskins, 49ers, and Vikings. We have Jake the Snake Plumber, our good friend who played 10 years in the NFL for the Cardinals and Broncos and almost won a Heisman Trophy. And speaking of college, Peyton Manning, who played at Tennessee, got robbed in Heisman Trophy voting in favor of Charles Woodson, won 39 games in four years, which is an SEC record, but he never beat Florida. His number 16 is retired as of 2005, and he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame, as is Jake Plummer. So those are our honorable mention guys and sentimental favorites. Rudy, who do we have on the contender list? Man, we got a good list of quarterbacks and starts with Jim Plunkett. 
Heisman Trophy winner, 1970 from Stanford, set the NCAA record for net passing yards and total offense, obviously a college football Hall of Famer elected in 1990, selected number one by the New England Patriots. But most people don't remember him as a Patriot or even as a 49er. He was traded to the 49ers in 1976. But man, they remember him as a Raider. Two Super Bowl championships with the Raiders, including winning the MVP of the Super Bowl in 1980 when they beat the Eagles. Jim Plunkett is a great 16. And anytime you're great in that awesome black and silver uniform, you're going to be on our list of contenders for sure. Another contender is Frank Gifford. You and I grew up with Frank Gifford in the Monday Night Football booth. Yep. And uh, one of those things where you learned, oh, Frank Gifford was like a really good player. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you look back and you're like, oh, my gosh, 12-year career with the Giants as a halfback and a wide receiver. He also played a little defensive back, won an NFL championship, was an NFL MVP in 1956, member of the all-decade team of the 1950s, and then ended up spending 27 years calling football games on Monday Night Football a staple with Wide World of Sports, a staple with the Olympics. And he was at every, pretty much every Evil Knievel jump, which, you know, those are hallmarks of our youth for sure. Yeah, he was uh, in the TV movies about Evil Knievel as well, which was cool. Which was awesome. Married to Kathy Lee. The most annoying woman on the planet. At least in the top 10, for sure. And <laughs> uh, and Frank was almost killed by Chuck Bagnarek in the hit Heard Around the World when he was basically decleated and knocked out of... Basically, ended his career, honestly. <laughs> is one of the... One of the most fierce hits, videos you'll ever see, photos you'll ever see. But man, he's a contender. He had a great career on the field and then off. As well as George Blanda, who played for 26 seasons. So before there was Tom Brady and playing well into his 40s, there was George Blanda, who played for the Chicago Bears, Baltimore Colts, Houston Oilers, and the Raiders. He was another black and silver. That's the team I remember him playing for. He was a quarterback and a kicker which is awesome, by the way. 16 was his hallmark. He was player of the year in the AFL in 1961. He actually retired in 59 at 32 years old and then come ba came back in 60. That's amazing. Played 16 more years after he retired. So I'd like to know a little bit more about that story. But then he retired um, finally at the age of 48. He was a straightaway kicker. Didn't really play a lot of quarterback late in his career, obviously, but was a dependable kicker for the Raiders. I mean, he looked 75 yeah. when I was a yeah. kid and remembered him. I was like, God, that's grandpa playing, you know. Meanwhile, Brady looks like he's 32, right? Brady looks like it's amazing, the difference. But yeah, George Blanda, 26 seasons in the NFL. That's incredible. Yeah, Brady is the difference between if you sell your soul to the devil and <laughs> if you just play for a really long time. Yeah, well, Brady, uh, we know the answer to that one, aren't Brady? Um, <laughs> so our final two on the contenders list, two great quarterbacks, Super Bowl quarterbacks. Len Dawson, got to be one of your favorites. Uh, Absolutely. Ni 19 seasons in the NFL, but the Chiefs are what we remember him for. Seven-time Pro Bowler. He won three AFL championships and, of course, won the Super Bowl, beat the Vikings, was MVP of that Super Bowl. And a famous picture of him in the locker room smoking a cigarette. 
at yep. halftime. Fan having a Dr. Pepper, smoking having a cigarette. Dr. Pepper and smoking a cig. Just phenomenal. Now, he also had a really cool career after playing. He was uh, with Nick Bonacani, uh, one of my favorites as a kid, on HBO's Inside the NFL. And, you know, before there was Twitter, that was where we got a lot of highlights and a lot of insight. And that show was super popular. The Chiefs retired his number 16, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1987. But last, or actually first on our contender list is Joe Montana, one of the great Western Pennsylvania quarterbacks, came out of Monongahela, the hometown of my mother, actually. How about that? Nice. That's pretty cool. Good um, job. Yeah, good job, Mom. Played 15 years for the 49ers and the Chiefs. Of course, with the Chiefs, he wore 19, not 16. As we talked about with Jake, he was often compared to Joe Montana because Joe wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the fastest guy. He didn't throw the ball the furthest, but he just did everything better than you did. He did everything better than you did. Of course, he had Jerry Rice for many of those years. That always helps. And he had Bill Walsh for many of those years, and that always helps. But man, third round pick in 1979 out of Notre Dame, the fourth quarterback selected after the vaunted Jack Thompson, Steve Fuller, and Phil Sims. Now, Phil Sims definitely won a Super Bowl, but he's definitely no Joe Montana. <laughs> Two-time MVP <laughs> yeah, the, Joe Montana. The, the Chiefs missed out on Joe Montana and Dan Marino. They picked quarterbacks in both of those drafts, but they missed. They passed over Joe yep. Montana and Dan Marino. That's a tough one. But the Chiefs now have a pretty good quarterback. Finally, so it's, it's finally, you know, it only takes like fifty. <laughs> it only takes like fifty years. You finally get it right, and, and then everything's good. Thirty-two fourth quarter comebacks, four and zero in a Super Bowl, uh, and a first player to win three Super Bowl MVPs. You know, until there was Tom Brady. Joe Montana was by far the guy everybody thought of as the best ever and still is a good conversation for that. But Joe is at the top of our list of 16s on the football side. Baseball is a really, 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 really short list, but a but a very big name at the top of that list. Who is that? Our lone contender, and then we'll kind of take you through some honorable mention and sentimental favorite guys. Our lone contender is Whitey Ford. Whitey Ford, who just recently passed away, pitched 16 seasons in the big leagues, all with the Yankees, also wore number 19 briefly. He spent two years serving his country in Korea. He was a 10-time All-Star, won the Cy Young and World Series MVP in 1961, and won six World Series with the hated Yankees. Honorable mention, guys, Hal Newhauser, who pitched 17 seasons with the Tigers and Indians, was considered the most dominant pitcher of the World War II era. He was a six-time All-Star, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1992. His number 16 was retired by the Tigers in 1997. He was a scout after his playing days and actually quit because the Astros refused his recommendation to draft a shortstop named Derek Jeter in favor of selecting Phil Nevin. So you decide whether you want Derek Jeter's career or Phil Nevin's career, but that was the backbreaker for Mr. Newhauser. A number 16 that might be a contender if he had played baseball full-time, Bo Jackson wore number 16 for five seasons with the Royals. He also wore number eight with the White Sox and 22 with the Angels. He was an all-star once. He was MVP of that game, and his highlights in that game are absolutely awesome. 
He was an unparalleled athlete. He did things on a baseball field that no one had ever seen. He did things on a football field that no one had ever seen. So Bo Jackson is definitely somebody who deserves honorable mention. Frank Viola, sweet music, played 15 seasons for the Twins, Mets, Red Sox, Reds, and Blue Jays. Also wore 26, 29, 44, and 19. He is a three-time All-Star, won a World Series title and World Series MVP in 1987 when the Twins beat my St. Louis Cardinals. He also won the Cy Young Award in 1988. He's a minor league pitching coach right now, and his daughter, Brittany, represented the United States in 2012 in the Olympics in diving. Rick Monday wore number 16 from 1977 to 1984 with the Dodgers. He also wore 16 and 7 with the A's and Cubs. He played 19 years, was a two-time All-Star, first player taken in the 1965 draft. His number 27 is retired at Arizona State. He's probably best remembered, Rudy, if you remember. He saved the U.S. flag from being burned when he was a member of the Chicago Cubs in 1976. He also hit a home run to beat the Expos in Game 5 of the NLCS in 1981, which propelled your Dodgers to a World Series and a World Series victory, for that matter. He is now a broadcaster with the Dodgers. Speaking of the Dodgers, Hideo Nomo. Although he wasn't the first Japanese player in the big leagues, he is credited with opening the door for other Japanese players to come because he was a star. He came over in 1995, was named Rookie of the Year, made his only all-star appearance that year. He pitched 12 seasons for seven different teams. He twice led the major leagues in strikeouts. He threw two no-hitters during his career and is one of only five pitchers to have thrown a no-hitter in both leagues. He won 78 games as a pro in Japan and 123 here in the major leagues, which gives him 201 career wins for those of you doing fast math in your head. He's also a member of the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame as of 2014. And last but not least, Reggie Sanders, Aramis Ramirez, and Garrett Anderson. These are good but not great players. What they really have going for them is that they wore number 16 for 18, 17, and 16 years respectively basketball. I'll start with the sentimental favorites because they're my sentimental favorites. And then you can take us through the honorable mention and the contenders, the two sentimental favorites in basketball, Wang Zhiji, which is just a fun name to say, Wang Zhiji, played four years for the Mavericks, Clippers, and Heat. He was the first Chinese player to play in the NBA. He now coaches the same team that he played for in the Chinese league. So he was the guy who opened the door. And the second sentimental favorite is Al and Ali McGuire. So Al McGuire played for the Knicks from 52 to 54, and Ali played for the Knicks in 1974. Al is best known as a college coach and a broadcaster. He won a national championship at Marquette. He won over 400 games as a college coach and was also inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1992. Number 77 is retired in his honor at Marquette because he won a national championship in 1977. And by the way, that was my brainchild when I worked at Marquette University. Nice. And Allie McGuire, his son, actually played one season with the Knicks in 74, and he wore number 16 as well, which is kind of cool. They wore the number 20 years apart. All right. Time out. Time out. Time <laughs> okay. out. Keep recording, but time out. Okay. What you, do you, got? you retired to 77 at Marquette? Yes. That was your idea? Let's that was my idea. 77. That's a big idea, yes. man. That's big time. Oh, okay. You're in Can I make Rackers. a bigger deal out of that? That's a big deal. Well, let's get to honorable mentions. We, we've got a couple. One was a coach, just like Al, uh, Red Holtzman. He did wear 16 for a short career, five of his six seasons as a player. But more importantly, especially for Nick fans, he won two championships as head coach 
for the New York Knicks. Do you remember when the New York Knicks were good? Because nope. I certainly do not. Tom Satch Sanders, yet another Boston Celtic to have his number retired. Man, I could not pick out Tom Sanders out of a lineup of former <laughs> Celtics, but he did win eight titles. He's a Hall of Famer in 2011. I don't know what you have to do to get your number retired in Boston, but it's got to be more than just play. But it seems like if you just played for the Celtics, you're getting your number retired. But good for them. Our contenders. We've got Tom Burleson, who won a national championship at North Carolina State in 1974 that broke UCLA's run of seven straight titles. So congratulations, Tom Burleson. He also played in that horrible 1972 Olympic result for the U.S. when we got hosed out of a gold medal against the dastardly Soviets. Cliff Hagen, Hall of Famer, played for 13 years in the 50s and 60s, won a championship for your St. Louis Hawks in 1958. And shouldn't St. Louis still have an NBA team? I mean, come on, man. Uh, I think so. Why not? I think so, too. Jerry Lucas, who wore 16 during his seven seasons with Cincinnati, another pretty interesting city for an NBA team. He also wore 47 and 32 with the Warriors and Knicks, respectively. Seven-time All-Star, was Rookie of the Year in 1964, and won a championship late in his career with the Knicks in 1973. One of my favorite players, one of the best shooters in basketball history, is Peja Stojakovic. He wore 16 throughout his career, played on five different teams, probably most notably for the Sacramento Kings. He's a three-time All-Star. He did win a championship with the Dallas Mavericks, was helpful but not certainly instrumental in that team that was led by Dirk and Jason Terry. He won the NBA three-point contest a couple times. His number has been retired by the Kings, and he's also the assistant GM and player development personnel guy for the Kings currently. And I don't know what they're doing, but I know they passed on Luca, which was a real big mistake. So Peja, come on, man. Al Adels wore 16 throughout his 11-year career with the Warriors, really before the Warriors were the Warriors, and every 12-year-old had a Steph Curry jersey, even though they don't know where Golden State plays. <laughs> Neither is Golden State, for that matter. It is Golden State, yes. <laughs> Point guard with a great nickname, the Destroyer, was one of the first African-American coaches in the NBA and was the second African-American to win an NBA title as a head coach. He was also the GM for the Warriors, and his number 16 is retired by those Warriors. And he's a basketball Hall of Famer, elected to the Hall of Fame in 2019. Last on our list is a good one with the biggest feet maybe in basketball history is Bob Lanier. The two biggest feats the, in basketball. One of the great the commercials two, of all time. Exactly. twenty Average 20 points and 10 rebounds for 14 years. You do that, you're in the Hall of Fame, bro. Played for the Pistons and the Bucks, eight-time All-Star, and is one of only 14 players to have his number retired by two different teams. So his 16 is retired both in Detroit and Milwaukee. But let's get to hockey. Because yeah. hockey, we've got we've got a probably a little bit better list of 16s in hockey. Let's kick it off with the contenders, Tom, in hockey. Who do you got? There's quite a few. Michelle Goulet, one of the greatest mustaches in NHL history. Look him up on the interwebs and check out his really awesome mustache. Uh, he fittingly wore number 16 for a 16-year career. Who knew? Was a five-time All-Star, one of the top snipers in the 80s, once scored 50 goals in four straight seasons. His career was unfortunately cut short by a severe concussion that he suffered in 1994 at the age of 33. So his number 16 is retired by the Quebec Nordiques. He was elected 
to the Hall of Fame in 1998. A career cut short, unfortunately, for Michelle Goulet. Pat LaFontaine also had his issues with concussions. He played his entire career in the state of New York for the Sabres, Islanders, and Rangers. He's considered one of the greatest American players of all time. He scored more than 1,000 points before his career ended at 32 because of the aforementioned concussions. Was a five-time All-Star, is a Hall of Famer, and his number 16 is retired in Buffalo. Henri Richard, the pocket rocket, won 11 Stanley Cups, which is an NHL record and ties him with Bill Russell for the most professional championships. He played his entire 20-year career in Montreal and has his number 16 retired there, obviously, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979 and just died this year from Alzheimer's disease. So Henri Richard definitely deserves a mention, as does Bobby Clark. Played his entire 15-year career with the Flyers. He's the team's all-time leader in assists and points. He won two Stanley Cups. He was a part of the Broad Street Bullies. When he retired, he was fourth in NHL history in assists and 11th in points. His number 16 is obviously retired. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1987. Marcel Dion played 18 seasons with the Red Wings, where he wore number 5 and number 12, and also with the Kings and Rangers, where he wore number 16. Despite being only 5'8", he scored 1,700 career points, which is sixth all-time. He was second in NHL history when he retired. He's considered the best player to never win a Stanley Cup, and he never really got close. He played on some really terrible teams, but his number 16 is retired here in Los Angeles. And finally, Brett Hull. Played for Calgary, St. Louis, Dallas, Detroit, and Phoenix in a 19-year career. Also wore 16, 22, 17, and 9. Number 16 is the same number that his famous father, Bobby Hull, wore when he broke in with Chicago. He scored 1,300, almost 1,400 career points, has 741 career goals, which is fourth highest in NHL history, and he now works with the St. Louis Blues. That's our hockey list. We actually have a couple of other type of guys as well. One of them, Rudy, is Roy Keane, who is the most successful Irish soccer player of all time. He played for Manchester United from 1993 to 2006 and later coached and was a broadcaster. His first coaching job was at Sunderland. And there's a great documentary called Sunderland Till I Die, which has two seasons on Netflix. Here's how you know I've been in the house too long. I'm watching soccer shows, Rudy, and I'm liking them. What is wrong with me? Sunderland Till I Die and Ted Lasso. I'm Weekly now, I'm telling you about some sort of soccer coverage. I have clearly lost my mind. I'm there with you now, man. I, I am now a Tottenham fan just because I got sucked into that vortex of hell of watching. I don't even care. I, you know what I think about soccer, but I am into that. Man, it's good stuff. COVID-19 can't end soon enough because I got to get out of the soccer vortex that I'm in right now. But anyway, we got a couple of uh, race car drivers as well, Rudy, right? Yeah, we'll touch on a couple guys. Greg Biffle, he won 19 races in the 16 car. Some of the biggest racing names have also driven the number 16 car. Cal Yarborough, Rusty Wallace, David Pearson, Bobby Allison, and the awesomely named Fireball Roberts. We've got Jack Brabham. He won the 1966 Formula One World Championship driving the 16 car. And speaking of great documentaries, 
The Formula One documentary. Yeah, really good. Phenomenally done. Here's the thing about it, though. As good as it is, and it's really compelling, and you're into it, you're kind of nervous because you had no idea what happened. Then you try to watch a race. I woke up like 4 a.m. or something, and I got up to watch it. I was excited about it. I got about 20 minutes in and thought, this is freaking boring, man. This is as bad as I remember. It doesn't help you watch and appreciate the actual live race. The whole circuit should be a documentary because it's so well done (laughs) and it's so exciting and it keeps you really engaged in it It, it's it's awesome so we're we're really repping some good sports documentaries yeah that show is called formula one drive to survive it's really well done and speaking of well done rudy guess what time it is well, we were just talking about documentaries, so that's a good segue yes. to talk about your favorite subject, screen stars. Screen stars, baby. Here we go. We're going to just do the top five, but I'm going to at least tip the cap to Joe Cap, who was Charlie Tyler in Two Minute Warning, if you remember that TV movie from 1976 where terrorists mm-hmm. take over the Super Bowl. And also David Hansen, who was the lesser known of the Hansen triplets as Jack Hansen in Slapshot from 1977. He didn't say much, but he obviously was a guy who put on the foil and did what he had to do with his brothers. Number five on the list is Anthony Michael Hall, who we talked about last week in a terrible movie called Johnny Be Good. But this time he was Whitey Ford in 61 from 2001. He was right-handed. And obviously Whitey Ford was one of the great left-handed pitchers of all time. So he wore a jersey that was reversed. And so they would shoot him pitching and then they would just flip the footage. So it looked right. So Anthony Michael Hall from 61, which also starred Barry Pepper, who we talked Talked about last week. All I want to do is race, Daddy. <laughs> Number four, Mac Davis, who played Seth Maxwell in North Dallas 40 from 1979. Mac Davis just slipped off the mortal coil not long ago, but North Dallas 40 is a great movie, and he actually looked like a fairly convincing quarterback, strangely enough, even though he was really just a country music guy. Number three, Vince Vaughn as Peter LaFleur in Dodgeball, a true underdog story from 2004. Number two, wait, Warren, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Are you not, wait, 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 wait. You're not going to tell our Vince Vaughn story? Well, I guess I am now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a beer with Vince Vaughn. We did have a beer with Vince Vaughn. I will tell the Vince Vaughn story then. So one night, a bunch of us young punks all decided that we were going to go out here in L.A. and go to all the bars that were featured in the movie Swingers. So we finally end up at the Dresden Room. We walk into the Dresden Room and who is standing in the doorway? Vince Vaughn, one of the stars of Swingers. So we kind of tell the owner of the place what we're doing. He thinks it's really cool. He puts us in a room with Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley right? Who is his producing partner and was also Ralphie in A Christmas Story. And we kind of sit there and we kind of chat. It's kind of awkward. (laughs) Things finally break (laughs) up after we have a beer and he, you know, sort of, he signed our, he signed our, uh, he signed our movie. He signed our VHS. And then we kind of, I don't know, it was, it was kind of strange because I don't think he really knew what to say to us or really knew what to make of a bunch of dudes who were doing what we were doing. And then I remember later on in the night, 
I see him with the owner and he's kind of berating the owner saying, hey, if one of those drunk guys comes up to me again and bothers me, I'm leaving. And I was just like, "Okay, well, we obviously made a solid impression on Vince Vaughn, which is maybe why he's number three on the screen stars list and not number one on the screen stars list. But yes, that is our brush with greatness with Vince Vaughn. So number two on the list is Warren Beatty, who played Joe Pendleton in Heaven Can Wait from 1978. And number one is, of course, Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco in The Replacements from 2000. Pain heals. Chicks dig scars. Glory. Last forever. Right on, Shane. Right on, Right on. Shotgun. DC right. Flip 90. Dig. On the center, on the center. Ready? Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco in The Replacements in 2000 is the Screen Stars honoree of the week. So congratulations, Keanu Reeves. And that's Screen Stars, which brings us, Rudy, to the Derek Rose Award and the Hall of Shame. For Derek Rose, we have two contenders and Hall of Shame, there can only be one. And if you don't see this one coming, you're just really not yeah. paying attention. So, Rudy, why don't you take one of the Derrick Rose guys and I'll take the other. And then you can lead us into the Hall of Shame. Absolutely. So one of the Derrick Rose guys is Doc Gooden. Dwight Gooden was uh, one of the Major League Baseball's most dominant pitchers. 16 years in the majors, four-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year at the age of 19, won a Cy Young, and was part of two World Series teams with the Mets. But he was tortured, man. He had drug, alcohol problems, suspended the entire 1995 season. Then he started flopping teams, man. Went from the Mets to the Indians to the Yankees to the Astros, to the Rays. He even pitched a no-hitter with the Yankees in 1996. Through all the drug problems, the talent was there, and it just got tackled out of bounds, unfortunately. He spent seven months in prison in 2006, was arrested in 2010 and 2019. It's a tough end to what could have been one of the all-time greats, but just he went the wrong way, obviously, and and it it didn't turn out that great, and he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame because of it, but he had Hall of Fame talent for sure. Speaking of which, we have another pitcher on a Derrick Rose Award, right? Yeah, Jose Fernandez, Cuban-born pitcher who won Rookie of the Year in 2013. He also finished third in Cy Young voting that year. He was a two-time All-Star, a strikeout artist par excellence, had 253 strikeouts in 2016, was unfortunately killed along with two friends in a boating accident that same year. In the Marlins' first game back, Rudy, if you remember, after his death, the entire team wore number 16, and his good friend D. Gordon hit a leadoff home run, which was the only home run he hit that year. He was wearing Fernandez's batting helmet, and you remember he circled the bases in tears. The Marlins beat the Mets that night 7-3, to and after the game, they all left their hats on the mound in tribute to their fallen teammate, Jose Fernandez, who would have been, I believe, a great one, which is why he's on the Derrick Rose Award list. That takes us to the Hall of Shame. And Rudy, the Hall of Shame is coming down Broadway with the doors wide open. This one is so obvious, it's not even funny, right? Yeah, number 16, none other than Ryan Leaf. And I had a really interesting kind of 
brush with Ryan Leaf. I saw Ryan and this other soon-to-be rookie named Peyton Manning. They were at the quarterback challenge in Orlando at the time, and they were with all the quarterbacks at this bar. And over in the corner was Peyton Manning wearing a polo and dockers, being real dorky and just dorking out with some of the best quarterbacks, asking them questions, uh, getting feedback, talking about strategy, you know, really into it. The other side of the room was Ryan Leaf, and he was hanging out with Kerry Collins, and they were hitting on the uh, the bartender. <laughs> he was in sweats. He was a mess. They were ordering two beers at a time because they were drinking so fast. And my buddy and I were looking and going, man, if there was ever a sign that you should draft Peyton Manning and not draft Ryan Leaf, we're looking at it right here. And man, we were right. I mean, what a mess. The Chargers obviously grabbed the wrong guy. The Colts grabbed the right guy. And Peyton Manning's a Hall of Famer and Ryan Leaf's a Hall of Shamer. You know, he went downhill fast, picking fights with the media, struggling on the field, then struggling with injury and then struggling with addiction and then struggling with crime. Yeah, (laughs) Just a mess, just a train wreck. And it's a sad story. You know, he was sentenced to five years in prison and kicked out of a drug treatment program. I thought he kind of was kicking it into gear and starting a little bit of a new lease on life when he became a college football analyst for ESPN, but unfortunately was arrested in May on a misdemeanor domestic battery charge. And that's probably it on at least the the spotlight side, on the media side for him. I I can't imagine him coming back from that, not with all that baggage. But uh, if there was ever a Hall of Shamer, it was the very talented Washington State quarterback named Ryan Leaf. Unfortunately, probably the biggest draft bust in NFL history, which is something that he's had to contend with, along with all the other demons that he has. Which brings us to the heat checklist. So these are guys who are currently wearing the number. We have a top five here, but let's name check two people, Rudy, so we can do a little bit of home cooking. One is Colton Wong, who's the second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He finally won a gold glove this season. He's kind of a streaky but solid guy who somehow has played eight years now in St. Louis and is maybe best known for breaking onto the scene by getting picked off to end a World Series game against the Red Sox. <laughs> we also have another one, Will Smith from your Dodgers, which I'll let you talk about. I'm just happy yeah. that Will Smith is wearing number 16 because that means we don't ever have to talk about Andre Ethier, who is something that rhymes with mass hole. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that we don't have to talk about Andre Ethier anymore because now Will Smith is going to carry number 16 forward and bring it out of the dark and into the light. Talk a little bit about Will Smith. Yeah, it looks like Will Smith's going to be a real keeper for the Dodgers. A solid defensive catcher, but a really good hitter from the right side. And in the uh, National League Championship Series, there was some Will Smith on Will Smith crime going down (laughs) when Will Smith took a fastball from the Braves' Will Smith and put it into the left field seats. He's batting fifth. As a second-year player in that lineup, batting fifth is some type of respect from Dave Roberts, and he deserves it. He's been clutch. And again, does anybody have a better walk-up song than the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah, that's great. So he's a name-check guy. We'll keep an eye on Will Smith and see if he can work his way up the list. Yep. We were talking about the great Warren Beatty earlier in his foray into number 16 with the Rams. There actually is a number 16 with the Rams. Yeah. His name's Jared Goff. He's a stud. He wore 16 as a seven-year-old because his hero was none other than Joe Montana. Not Jake Plummer. Come on, man. Um, But Joe (laughs) Montana uh, was the first pick in the 2016 draft. He's had a – he's honestly an odd career so far. I mean, there's times where he looks like – 
the best quarterback on the field, and there's times he looks really pretty terrible. But we'll see where he goes. But he's a good heat check guy, as is Trevor Lawrence, the ultimate heat check guy. There's about seven NFL teams right now that look like they're trying to be as bad as possible so they can draft him. He wears 16 because of Peyton Manning. He's been the best player at every level, high school, college. uh, He's already won national championship with Clemson. If he doesn't win the Heisman this year, I'd be shocked. If he's not the first-round pick in the draft, somebody's getting fired. Um, <laughs> this guy's going to be the guy in the NFL. He has the whole game. and So he's a heat check that I think will probably make his way on to – could make his way onto the contender list. Hopefully not replacing Ryan Leaf in the Hall of Shame. Please no, Trevor. Don't let that happen. Um, who else is on our heat check list? Yeah, we've got a hockey guy, Alexander Barkov, who is the captain of the Florida Panthers. He's been in the NHL since he was 18 and a pro since he was 16. He's one of the best young centers in the league, so Alexander Barkov is somebody to keep an eye on, as is Tyler Lockett. He's a two-time All-American at Kansas State before being drafted by the Seahawks as a receiver and return specialist. He's been to a Pro Bowl. He was named All-Pro in 2015. But Jared Goff, Trevor Lawrence, Tyler Lockett, and Alexander Barkov all take a backseat to this guy on the list, Rudy, and I'll let you go to it because he's a basketball guy. I didn't even know this guy was still playing. So that's how little I know about the NBA. Augustal is still playing, man. He is, uh, he's really, he's a Hall of Famer. He is a great player. And, you know, he's the perfect compliment to Kobe Bryant when the Lakers went on that Kobe Bryant championship run. Third overall pick in the 2001 draft. He's a six time All Star. He wore a 16 throughout his career with the Grizzlies, the Lakers, the Spurs, and the Bulls. He's a double-double machine. He's been solid. Great passer out of the post. He's only the fourth player to have 20,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 3,500 assists, and 1,500 blocks. I think there's a good chance his number 16 is in the rafters at the Staples Center for the Lakers. He meant a lot to that team. That's a good heat check. Yeah, that's our heat check list. And once again, Andre Ethier, bite me. Bite me. Uh, Which brings us to the Hall of Fame. And Rudy, I'll let you take us out here in the Hall of Fame. These are our top five guys. And this is quite a list, don't you think? Yeah, from five to one. I'm going to start with number five. And it's the old man of the sea, George Blanda. Hall of Fame electee in 1981, and I love George Blanda. So he is number five on our list. Who is number four? Number four is Brett Hull, one of only five players to score 50 points in 50 games. Eight-time All-Star, won two Stanley Cups. Number 16 is retired in St. Louis, where he's an executive vice president with the club. Brett and Bobby Hull are the first father and son duo in NHL history to be elected to the Hall of Fame. So way to go, Brett Hull. Who's number three, Rudy? Well, it's Big Bob Lanier and his big feats. First overall pick in 1970. Played in an era where centers were centers. Now it's all about two guards and point guards and swing men and centers are kind of dinosaurs. Bob Lanier was no dinosaur. He was at the top of his game when centers meant something. Size 22 feet, by the way. Size 22. Jeez Louise. He's a member of both the college and the pro basketball hall of fame. 
Now, I will say everybody's a member of the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, though, Tom. In fact, I play, <laughs> I was really good at basketball on the street. I think I'm being elected at the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. Anyway, that's another story. But Bob Lanier is number three on our list. We only got two more, and one of them is a baseball guy. Who's number two? By the way, I think I might have been in the Nerf Hoop Hall of Fame when I was nice. uh, maybe like 12. I was really, really good. Number two is Whitey Ford, who had his number 16 retired when he was enshrined in Cooperstown in 1974. So here's a cool nine-day span for you. Get enshrined into the Hall of Fame and have your number 16 retired. He won 236 games in 16 seasons, which is still a Yankees record. Only Clayton Kershaw has a lower career ERA. Ford's was 2.75 in 16 years. So Whitey Ford is number two on the list, which means there's only one left, Rudy. And who is it? Joe Montana. No surprise. One of the greatest NFL players ever. One of the greatest athletes ever. In fact, ESPN named him the 25th greatest athlete of the 20th century. He had a Super Bowl passing rating of 127.8. He threw 122 passes in a Super Bowl and was never picked off. What about that? His 16s retired by the 49ers and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2000. He's a member of the all-decade team of the 80s. Joe Montana defined quarterback play in the 80s and has passed that on to Tom Brady, who doesn't seem to want to let it go, but we'll see about Patrick Mahomes next. But Joe Montana is our best ever, our Hall of Fame number one as number 16. Congratulations to Chiefs great Joe Montana for being the number one, number 16, even though he couldn't wear 16 in Kansas City because of Len Dawson. That's a wrap on this edition of Putting Up Numbers. Our thanks to Jake the Snake Plumber. And don't forget to check out readylistsports.com. As always, please tell your friends and enemies to listen, subscribe, rate, review, fold, spindle, dry, do whatever you want to do with this podcast, but please pay attention. And thanks to everyone who has done so to date, Rudy and I. I do appreciate it. We'll be back with another edition soon. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I'm Rudy Klanick. And we'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers.